Um, isn't that just the coolest thing? Beth and Maggie are phenomenal people, and I have personally benefited from that little cooking Bible study. <laughs> Hillary has made uh, numerous things that she learned with those ladies. The thing that comes to mind first is the little mini meatloafs uh, with the roasted veggies. Delicious. Uh, but for those of you, uh, maybe some of you younger women, you're like, sign me up for that. Maybe some of you uh, are looking at that and you're thinking, I've got some skills, I've got some abilities, I've got some passions that I have. It's that simple. I can just, just kind of invite some other people into this and we can do the kind of thing together. Yes. That's what our church is all about, is using the ways that God has wired us to bless other people. So pay attention to those things as God prompts you, whispers to you, as someone else points something out and says, you're great at this, artist. You know, you can mentor some younger people and, you know, painting or whatever it is. Uh, respond to that. Be open to those things. I'm Caleb. I'm the lead pastor here. If we haven't met yet, uh, I look forward to meeting you. We have a lot to do this morning, so I'm going to jump right in. Uh, I want you to consider, what would you do if you were trying to really motivate people? If you were kind of rallying the troops around a cause, you know, some of you are business owners, and so you've had, to, you've had to mobilize, rally, get people excited about the thing, you know, the next quarter or, or this fiscal year or the next, you know, company that we're going to purchase or what the next thing we're going to do. Some of you are teachers, and you have to motivate your students in the classroom to take this seriously, to be all that they can be. Some of you are coaches and managers and all kinds of different walks of life imagine what do you do, how do you inspire people, Braveheart style, like painted face on the horse, like we will do this, or gladiator, what we do in life echoes in eternity, right? You're just, you're moving people toward the, the mission, the cause. What if they're your closest friends and family? What would you want them to know? What would you leave with them if you were going away, if you were going on a trip, or God forbid, if you were sick? And you are passing on to them what matters most, and you want them to remember things like respect your mother, listen to what she says, eat your vegetables, don't leave the house without pants, you know, whatever, <laughs> however you motivate your kids, like this is what I want you to get, this is what's really important. Now what if, what if your speech, your motivational plug, the charge, the hill that you want them to take it's not just about money. It's not just about good behavior. It's, just, it's not just about do well in school. Instead, it's like the mission of the world. It's, it's, it's the pivotal thing. It's like it's answering the question of why am I even alive? What if that was the charge that you were passing on to the next generation to take and to talk about and to coach and to lead into the future. That's what Jesus is about to do. We're going to look at his words, his commissioning of his people, and you're going to see how it's actually relevant to your life, because some of you are suspicious about that. But first, I want to show you the little image that I draw that reminds us uh, of what we do as a church. We've been talking about this the last two weeks. I drew that. Are you impressed? Um, I I wanted to use the one that I just sketched because I want you to see how simple it is. Because I want you to get it. I want you to be able to talk about it, draw it, whatever. This is what our church does. We gather on Sundays in a place just like this, precisely like this. We, we are here and we get together, we celebrate, we remind each other that God is good even if things around us are difficult. And we inspire each other to keep pressing on and following this creator God who loves us. And then we group together because we think that circles are even better than rows. 
and that we need to be in connection with each other, in community, that, that, our, that our spiritual families are just as important as our natural families, and they fill in the gaps where our natural families may have let us down. So we group up, and then we go, and we make a difference in the world around us. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, this idea of going and what that looks like. And where I get it from is Jesus' words before he was about to go back into heaven. He's already done the thing where he dies on a cross and raises from the dead, just like he predicted he would. And I don't know about you, but if someone says that they're going to die and raise from the dead, and then they die and they raise themselves from the dead, I pay attention to that person. And I would do anything that they said. You're, kinda, you're the guy who raised himself from the dead. Okay, which toothpaste should I use? I mean, I would, that, that detail, like I would just be all in for that guy. And so this is what he says. This is his parting words to his trusted followers, family, and friends. He leans in. He says, this is what I really want you to get. I'm about to disappear from your physical view right now. And here's what I want you to get. Here's what you're going to do from here. And Jesus came to them, his followers, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Think about that for a minute. You've been pulled over by a police officer, right? What'd you do? You pulled over. <laughs> the lights were flashing. If you don't, there's consequences, right? You've, maybe you've been in front of a judge and you have to do what he says. There's a judgment handed down. I've got to pay the fine. I've got to do the thing. Or you have a boss, right? You have to do what the boss says because he employs you. You understand authority. If there's a, a colonel and a general and privates and all these kind of people, they understand the flow of, of authority, the command chain, right? So Jesus says, my authority is a little bit bigger than that. All authority is what I have. I'm kind of the God that created you and keeps air in your lungs, keeps the trees growing and brings rain and, and that kind of stuff. I, I have all authority. Not just the authority to promote you or fire you. Like, I have all authority, he says. Therefore, go. Now, I'm going to talk about what he means when we, what he says in this whole go idea, but I just want you to think about those two letters for a moment. Go is the opposite of stay. We are inclined as humans to stay, especially as we get older. We have less new experiences as we get older. We get more comfortable as we get older. We like to insulate our lives as we get older, and we like to stay. It's easier to stay than to go. We prefer to stay on the couch than get up and take the trash out. We prefer to stay in bed than wake up and go to work. We prefer to stay in the nicely worn path that we have grooved for ourselves than to branch outside and do new stuff. It's just human nature. We tend to want to stay. We resist change, and it's just part of the deal. So Jesus is calling that out right now, right from the start, and he's saying, here's what's going to have to happen. For you to follow me in this great mission, you're going to have to go. You're going to have to take a step. It might be a little bit risky. It might be a little bit uncomfortable, but it requires action, movement, momentum, going from where you are. Here is not enough. I want you to take the next step to there. So that's what we're talking about. There is a step involved, a shift. Then he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you. 
And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That is what's known as the Great Commission. That is what Jesus left with his followers and his family and his friends. He says, this is what I want you to go on doing. This is what I want your life to be about. It's as simple as this. Just do this as you go. Here's the deal. I know that most of you don't feel like that Great Commission is relevant to you. You think that it's about 2,000 years ago and the early disciples and apostles and the people that were actually like with Jesus, the people that saw him do stuff, the people that, that witnessed the miracles, and the people that were standing there and looking in his eyes when he said, I want you to go and make disciples of all people, right? That's about them because they were there, they witnessed it. It's about that time and that place, right? No. Or maybe, 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 maybe it's for the professional ministry people like me, right? Because I'm a pastor, and so, yeah, 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 okay, maybe the, maybe the Great Commission, the go, and maybe that's for guys like Caleb and, you know, church staff people to do that. Or maybe it's for the Jesus freaks. It's, you know, the, they're like really serious Jesus people. Like they're the ones that go and make the disciples and do the thing, but not me. Like, I'm a regular person. I'm a school teacher. I coach. I run a business. I'm a doctor. I, this, this, it's not really relevant for, for me, this great commission thing Jesus sending out, I'm, I'm just a regular person. What we're going to see, what I hope that you see this morning, is that what Jesus wants for them is the same that he wants for us. And it's going to be actually very accessible and it's going to surprise you that what he says, this great commission, is not over and done yet. The fact that those guys picked up the torch and kept it going is the reason why we're still here today meeting like we are. And Jesus hasn't come back yet, so there is still more for us to do clearly. And there's a part for you to play. Now here's, here's how we can kind of get our mind around it a little bit. The word go, when you break it down, it literally, more literally means as you go. What Jesus is saying is not necessarily that you need to personally go to Africa and India and Asia and the, all these. Maybe, but what he's saying is as you go, as you go about your life, as you go to work, as you drive the path that you drive, as you go to the Starbucks that you go to, as you shop at the grocery shop store that you shop at, as you go to the kids' games, as you go to the gym, be about my business. As you go, keep in mind my mission. As you go, remember this, that I'm commissioning you, that you're part of this. As a follower of mine, you are part of this ongoing story. Remember that as you go. Then he says, make. You're, some of you are like, okay, as I go, I can get on board with that. But make, how am I going to make someone a disciple? That doesn't work for me. In fact, I have been around people, I have been subject to other leaders who have tried to make me something, and I want no part of that. This is 2015. You don't make someone do that kind of stuff. And when you try to make and impose and fit and form and, and, and show someone how they need to be, what does it cause them to do? The opposite. Rebel, Right? That's what happens when you make. So that word is kind of deceiving. What we actually, what's actually underneath it, what it really means is to cause or compel. What he's saying is as you go about your life, as you go on from here, compel people to also want to be my followers. 
that you live your life in such a way as you go that people are compelled, that they're caught up, that they're drawn in, that they're surprised by you, that there's something different about you and they just wonder what it is and they're compelled to want to know more. And if it's working for you, you're my kind of guy, you're my kind of girl, maybe I should follow this same Jesus. I could use that kind of hope. I could use that kind of confidence. I could use that kind of security that you seem to have. As you go, you compel with your life and make others want to also follow this Jesus. Diane Hodgkins is our children's uh, ministry pastor, and she is uh, she's awesome. And if you've gotten to know her a little bit, you know she's, she's kind of an energetic, passionate type of person. And uh, if you spend a little bit of time uh, around her, especially at this time of the year, you might find yourself becoming a Clippers fan because of uh, Diane. And her husband told me that, that this past season, he did not want to watch NBA basketball. I'm over NBA basketball. I'll watch college, but I can't stand, you know, all that kind of stuff. But Diane is such an avid Clippers fan that she's just watching all the games. And so by, like, the beginning of the season, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of peeking in and, uh, you know, whatever. Sorry, they lost. You know what? But by the midseason, I'm, like, on the couch with her, like, come on, Blake, you know, finish that, you know. And, and, then by, and then on whatever day it was when they just lost game six, he's depressed. He didn't want to go into work. He just, he wanted to, I just can't believe this. I, I'm heartbroken. I'm torn up by the Clippers. And I didn't even want to watch basketball this season. But his wife, Diane, is so compelling. She's, she just gets you caught up in the thing that she's passionate about, and you just find yourself passionate about the Clippers. My mom uh, is into essential oils, as I know that, like, 40% of you are. And, uh, and she, uh, she, she, you know, we had, like, some kind of cold, and she was visiting, and, and she was like, whoa. I got this. And she went into her, she had like the diffuser thing with her, like on her person somehow. And, and she got it out and plugged it in and put the drops in and this thing is kind of flowing. And I'm like, okay, I can actually breathe better. That's not, that's not a bad, that's not a bad thing. The next day I actually felt better. Headache was gone. And I was like, okay, uh, essential oils. I'm kind of into it. And I, and I know many of you have kind of got caught on to the essential oils thing because I smell it when I walk around. Some of you out there, a little peppermint here or a little... I don't know what, but, but, but some of you have gotten so caught up and you're compelled by essential oils and now you're selling them and you got someone else selling them and, and it's just a big thing for you, right? That's kind of what Jesus is talking about. Be compelling because you so believe in the thing that you just can't help but get other people on board. I'm, I'm so caught up and compelled. Jesus has changed my life. I just want you to know about it. I've found water over here, and you're a bunch of thirsty people. Come on. It's not, it's not make and force, and this is how you have to be. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying live in such a way, speak in such a way, act in such a way that you compel others to follow this Jesus too. That's what disciples are. They're simply followers. The Apostle Paul said, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. Some of you know what it is to be compelled or, let's say, under the influence, uh, perhaps, maybe of alcohol and you've danced in some strange places, uh, or drugs and you've just found yourself like, I just ate a box of Cheetos, or uh, a Cheez-Its probably more likely. 
and, or, or I, I'm just compelled, I'm under the influence of love, and I'll walk over fire to get to that person. I'm just, oh, I just, I'm just blinded by love. Or maybe it's money for you, and you've compromised all kinds of things in your life just to have more things. You know what it is to be under the influence. You know what it is to be compelled by something, driven by something. But what if, what if you had a fire that burned in you? And it was a fire not of insecurity or lust or passion, but it was a fire of deep security and purposefulness. And it drove you because you know who you are and that you're loved just as you are and that God has a plan for your life and you don't have to chase around looking at all these kinds of things, that you, that you are his. And there's this fire in you and you just want people to know about it. It's a deep level of confidence. You don't have to prove anything to anyone, not even yourself. You're just who you are and God loves you and you're just driven. And you're not making people behave in certain ways or they have to believe certain things. They just get caught up because they're like, man, that person's different. I'm compelled by that person's life. As you go, be motivated by love. It's simple. As you go, be motivated by love. Because Jesus' people have always been differentiated by this one primary characteristic, love. That's how Jesus said his disciples would be recognized. That's what motivated Beth and Maggie to start the group, to love these younger women. It was love. Look at what this verse says. Jesus says, your love for one another, your love for one another, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Not your doctrine, not your belief statements, not your bracelets, not your t-shirts and bumper stickers, but your love for one another, the way you care for each other, the way you speak to other people, the way you sacrifice for the sake of other people, the way you're generous with people in need, the way you put others before yourself, that is what speaks to the world. That is the mark of followers of Jesus. It's your love. And if Jesus says, I want you to compel other people to also be followers of Jesus, marked by love, how is it that you compel people to be loving people? You love them. You love them. Love is caught, not taught. And if we are to compel people to also follow Jesus, and if the defining characteristic of a follower of Jesus is love, that is going to come as a ripple effect of us loving people well. Like Hillary said last week, some of us don't have loving relationships and loving friendships because we're not yet good friends, right? She said it nicer than that, but that's how I say it. We're, we're not good friends, and so we don't have good friends, and then we complain that we don't have good friends, but we're not loving people. You can spark the revolution of love. It starts with you. You love someone, and it just, it just rubs off. It's caught, not instructed and taught. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because God loved us first. We're just like everybody else. But we have come to the realization that God loves us. 
and we just want other people to know it too. He started it. We just receive it and pass it on. Then, as you go, you go beyond your comfort zone. Go beyond your comfort zone. Jesus, in his last moments, as recorded in the book of Acts, says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Witness, what does a witness do? Literally just talks about what they saw, their experience, right? That's what a witness does. You will be my witnesses. You will share about your experiences with me in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So you're like, okay, okay. I can I get this. As I go about my normal life, I can, I can show love. I can be a witness. I can talk about what God has done in my life. I was, I was actually talking with Hillary about that, and she said, you know the person that comes to my mind? Kristen Cowgill, Graham's wife. That She's just, she's just able to say, I, I heard her say just recently, she was like, I'm going to try. She was like, girl, I'm a mess. No, no, that's not very good, but you know what I mean. She, I, I don't do accents well, but she goes, she was talking with someone, and she goes, girl, I'm, just, I'm a hot mess, but Jesus loves me in the middle of my mess, and he'll love you in the middle of yours. That's what it is. That's what it is. I, I'm a mess. God loves me in the middle of my mess, and he'll love you in the middle of your mess. Stepping a little bit out of her comfort zone, having those kind of conversations. I have a friend uh, named Don Dirks, and when I was in high school, you know when you're in high school, you don't, you don't really, like what your parents say is like, oh, that's just dumb. Uh, so my parents, my parents were talking to, about, talking to us about Jesus, taking us to church and pointing us to God, but it's nice when you're a teenager to have somebody else that's saying kind of similar things too, and Don was that guy. He was the youth guy, and he worked uh, for Young Life, and he worked at our high school, and he would keep showing up on our campus, and I was surprised because he... He was a basketball and volleyball guy growing up, and so he showed up at all of our basketball games and all of our volleyball games and the football games, too. He just kept showing up places. And then he would be my friend, and then I would introduce him to some people, and he would be their friend. And, and, and my friends would just be like, who's this weird guy, Don? And they're like, I, you know, he's, he's cool. He just, you know, he, he just likes um, you know, to be friends, and he wants to support us and get to know you. And you're like, I don't know, that's kind of weird. Yeah, it is actually a little bit weird. It's unusual, but he would just keep showing up, and he would say, Kevin, that was a great swim meet, dude. Hey, hey, you know, Eric, that you, you're you're improving so much in volleyball. I think you got a real future. Hey, you guys want to go get yogurt afterwards? And he would just hang out. He would just talk to us about life. He would let people vent. They were going through hard things. He would fill in the gaps where people's dads had left. He was just there. And Don Dirks, stepping out of his comfort zone, because that's not comfortable, to show up on a high school campus three afternoons a week and just be there for students, that's not comfortable. But because he did it, Time and time again, year after year, I, there's hundreds of students whose lives are changed. I mean, I could list off about 25 for you of my friends because he just kept showing up. And he wasn't this big, like, impressive guy who said all the right things. He just, he just loved people. And he says, well, you know, I'm kind of a mess. But this God, he loves me right in the middle of my mess. He'll love you in the middle of yours. But it takes step out of the comfort zone. And here's what Jesus is talking about when he says Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Because remember, I know some of you are like, this is not relevant to me in my life. Watch, it is. 
Jerusalem is the place where the people are from. That's the place where they know. That's the epicenter. Just think of it as your home. It's your neighborhood. It's your town. It's where you go to the grocery store and you see people. And he's saying, I want you to be my witnesses. I want you to talk about me and and how I've loved you and you love. I, I just want you to share your life and love people well in your hometown. And you're like, yeah, but people know me here. Yes. But, but, but no, 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 but they, they like know what I did last summer here, you know? Yes. But they knew who I was like in high school. Exactly. He said, start there. Let them see your changed life. And then maybe they can be loved by this same God too. You start there in the hometown and then you move out to Judea, which just think of it in terms of Orange County. So from hometown to the county, I, and what he's really saying is just think bigger. Like, I'll give you more influence, and you'll have opportunities to influence and to love people and to point them toward God, even in the broader context. That's what, think of Judea, Orange County, when you think of it that way. And then he says Samaria. And Samaria is the people that the Jews hated. I mean, they, those guys hated each other. So when you hear Samaria, what you're thinking is, these, this is risky. Like, this requires, this requires a, a, a bold step because they hate me, and I kind of don't even think that they deserve me to love them well. That's, that's what Jesus is talking about, those kind of people. And then lastly, the ends of the earth. They didn't know how far the earth went. I mean, it was just as far as they could see and as far as their dad had traveled, you know. But, but now, it's, it, you could fly anywhere at any time, but what, it's really, what it really means is just being open to the unknown. That wherever you find yourself, you're just a conduit of God's love. You're just like, I'm a mess, but Jesus loves me in the middle of my mess, and he loves you too. I, I, I'm just caught up. I'm, a com- I'm just compelling wherever you end up being and being open to that, that wherever God leads you, leads you, that you're a compelling person in that place. I never take a vacation from being compelled by God's love. It's just, it's just who we are. That's essentially what Jesus is saying. Friends, the mission from God for most of us, is not about going to seminary. It's not about learning all the right things and doctrine and jumping through hoops and secret handshakes. It's not even about perfect performance. It's about being compelled that he's changed my life and I'm just going to live in a compelling way and love the people around me so that it stands out and is different. And then I'll be able at some point to have conversations about the God that loves them too. As you go, go with compassion and not comparison. As you go, go with compassion, not comparison. Luke 4, 18 and 19 says this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus says he came to do. And he says, that's what I want you to be about too. That I have come to give good news to the poor. Not to say, oh, no, they're poor for good reasons. It's their fault that they're poor. Practically, financially, poor in spirit, poor emotionally, Uh, they had it coming. I mean, that's that's just the way they've chosen to live. No, 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 no. Good news for those people. Compassion for those people because we're all the same. 
Not to look at people who are imprisoned, either in an actual prison facility or just imprisoned emotionally, and not to say, no, let's keep them there. They're unsafe. But, but, to, but to proclaim freedom. That You might be stuck behind bars, but you can have freedom in your soul. It's compassion. It's moved by love. And recovery of sight for the blind and set the oppressed free. I want you to be compassionate. And here's how Peter says it. He says, he did not discriminate between them and us, for he purified their hearts by faith. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. In essence, there is no us in them. There is no uh, the good people here and the bad people there. We're all the same. We're all loved by God. We're all recipients of God's grace. So as we go, it's with that perspective that we're motivated by love, that we're willing to take steps that are uncomfortable, and that we're about compassion, not comparison, not being the deciders on who should be in and who should be out and whose behavior is good enough and who doesn't deserve another chance. It's, it's no, 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 no. We're all the same. We're all in desperate need of this kind of love. That's who we are. That's who our church is. That's who our church will continue to be. And that's the mission that you're on from God. You. It didn't stop 2,000 years ago. How do you think we got here today? Because people showed up on high school campuses. Because people stood on stages like this and spoke words. Because people went next door to the people and the guy in the cubicle next to you and encouraged him and gave him hope and prayed with somebody. We are people who go. And we are a church that has been invited to go and to take another step in our own journey. And if you've been a part of this journey as we've been talking about it, God has opened a door for us to take a step and, take, and go to a new space. But what I want to be really clear is it's not about the space. God's just giving us more space because we're missional people, because we're on mission, because we're people who go, we're people who encourage, we're people who love, we're people who invite. And so he's just giving us, he's just increasing our capacity to be able to do that. And so we've been talking for several weeks about a step-in campaign. We've said that we've been on this journey to find this new spot. Our spot's pretty cool. This journey has been has been an amazing one. We didn't think it was going to happen. We weren't sure it was going to happen. We decided that we were going to step in faith and just start raising money now because God was going to do it. And as soon as we said that, as soon as we kind of put that out there, it, amazing things have happened. City council, people vote, and they change the zoning. Uh, we started negotiating for the Regency Movie Theater, and now it turns out we're going to buy it. Here's a picture. Not only are we going to buy it, but the guy who owns it wants us to be in there so much and we couldn't get up to his price and he wouldn't come down any further. So he contributed his own cash to bridge the difference. And people, four people in fact, that don't even go to our church, on the owner's side and on the guys who are negotiating on our behalf, all contributed money to make this thing happen. It's been miracle after miracle after miracle. It's going to be amazing. And today is a special day because today is when we said that we were going to make commitments. That we, I said three weeks ago, we're trying to raise a million dollars. Well, then the miracle of buying the thing happened, and that million dollars has become like 1.5 or 2 million dollars. Uh, but hey, 
God will provide for it. He'll do it. If this is his, this is his deal, he's made it really clear. So we, we're stepping in, and today we're making commitments. If you're brand new and you're like, what are you talking about? Is that my movie theater? You're, <laughs> I'm sorry for that. Um, but if you, if you haven't been a part of this, feel, feel no obligation. Just hang out. Hopefully, hopefully you're inspired by people willing to sacrifice. There's, there's a, those of us who have been on this journey, we've been praying and talking about how we would sacrifice, how we would contribute financially to make this thing happen because nothing great ever happens without sacrifice. It just doesn't. There's no great dream, no great vision that doesn't require some sacrifice. And so we've been praying and thinking about it. We have... We have these envelopes. If you don't have one, uh, you can grab them. We have uh, ladies in the back that will hand out these envelopes. But many, many of us have been praying and looking at our commitment cards and, and making them. Hillary and I have been processing this and praying about it and are going to commit to give to this thing. It's, an, it's a two-year campaign. So uh, if you're not prepared this morning, it's okay. you got some time. Uh, you got some time to contribute. But if you are prepared this morning, I would invite you just to take this thing out. There is a verse... Uh, from the book of Exodus, when they're building the tabernacle, and it says the people brought special offerings of gold, totaling 2,000 plus pounds. The gold was used throughout the tabernacle. This is a special offering day. This is when we're coming and we're saying, God, we believe, we're bought in, we're excited about what you're going to do, and we're going to play a part. It's not equal gifts. Some people have the means to give big gifts. Some people don't, and it doesn't matter. It's just about the heart being willing to step in and sacrifice to be a part of it. That's all that we care about. So if you're here and you're prepared to do that and you have your commitment cards, I would just invite you to take them out. I'm just going to pray over them. You're going to drop them off after we're done in some baskets out there. But if you would just kind of hold it, if you want the cards, you can hand, you can grab it. You can grab them on your way out as well. But then I want to say a prayer for all of us in general, that we would be those who go and step in, in faith, compelled by love, willing to be uncomfortable, compassionate in our love. So will you join me in praying? God, first and foremost, we are grateful for this journey that we're on. But more than anything else, we are grateful for your love, that you give us life. You desire to live this life with us. We're not alone. We're grateful for this church community that you've given us to remind us that we're not alone. And it's clear that you are taking our church, our, our community to a new place, figuratively and literally. Today we're making commitments to support the journey. Would you take our gifts and use them for good? Would you bless each giver, each person here, as they take some kind of step of faith? And God, as a result of these commitments and gifts, would you change our lives and would you change many, many lives of people in our church and throughout our communities as we continue to be people who go in love. In Jesus' name.